Uh, what does it mean for your personal finances? Does that mean that you might, you might not eat that week? You know, obviously mm-hmm. that's an extreme example. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, what does it actually mean for your overall personal finances and your long-term goals? That's what we say about capacity for loss, you know, which is why we even encourage on a walk finance podcast that people should have uh, emergency funds and, and these kind of things in place and, and uh, pay off their debts before they even start investing. But not everybody does. And that Hello and welcome to Woke Finance, the podcast discussing all things finance and all things finance related. It's your boy, Peter, and I'm with my co-host, my bro, Jax. How are you? Peter, I'm very good, man. Um, This is my birthday week, so I'm very excited. Uh, I'm in a place of gratitude. I feel like the last year has gone by really, really fast. Um, But I'm really happy and really excited as I, uh, you know, uh, celebrate another year. Come on, man. Massive happy birthday to you and... Loving the feeling of gratitude, man. Another year, man. Give God thanks for another year to your life, bro. Amen, amen. Thank you, man. Come on, come on, come on. And a massive shout out to our listeners wherever you are in the world. Today, we got a short one. Um, and we're going to be talking a bit about linking into investing. Now, obviously, on the Walk Finance podcast, we always tell and encourage people to think about three key things when um, thinking about investing. Um. One is around, you know, understanding what is your objectives when you are looking at investing. And the other is around looking at your time horizon. You know, how long are you thinking when it comes to investing? Is it five years? Is it 10 years? Is it 15 years? And the other area that we always encourage people to have a think about is around risk tolerance. But we're going to be taking a bit of a a tad bit of a deep dive. I know this is a short episode, but we're going to take a bit of a deep dive into the idea of around understanding your risk profile, um, which might just cover, which might inc- include risk tolerance, but there's more to it, Jax. Well, yeah, absolutely. I think um, we talk about risk tolerance. Uh, we say things like, what is your ability and willingness to take risk? Um, that kind of hints that, you know, it's not just about how much risk can you tolerate, um, from just a simple standpoint, but there's a bit more to it, and I guess that's what we will tackle in this episode. Exactly. So, um, I guess yeah, let's get straight into it. In terms of like understanding your risk profile, how can one actually? I mean, once someone listening to this right now, how could they know? How could I say to myself, "This is what my risk profile is"? How does one even start with? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, I always say it's, it's usually a, a great idea. Um, you know, if it's someone who has quite a bit of cash to invest or or that kind of stuff, to actually speak to a, f- a financial planner because they will have the necessary questionnaires and tools and and often the know hows to try their best to actually identify what your risk profile actually is. Now, there's not an exact science. Uh, it's not, you know, it, it can change. And there is a mechanical side to it as well as a more behavioral and emotional side to it as well. But when we talk about risk, you know, we've got an episode on actually understanding risk, which is really important. And I encourage our listeners to go and have a listen. But essentially, before you invest, you always ask yourself, what are your goals? But when we talk about your goals and your objectives and how to actually get there, risk is a huge part of that. Because essentially investing, the whole art of investing is being able to exchange your cash for an asset 
uh, where you take a level of risk with an unknown return, or but but that unknown return has to be at least somewhat predictable. Mm. So I would say that again, to, to invest is to exchange your cash for something, but you are taking a level of risk. And we also know that generally speaking, the higher the risk, the higher the potential, or in more technical, term, te- technical terms, the higher your expected return. No, I love that. Um, as you said, there, I mean, anything we do in life, right? There's there's risk associated with it. Um, and when it comes to investing, really understanding what that actually means. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, in in uh, economical terms or, or mechanical terms, when we talk about risk, we talk about it from a volatility standpoint. Mm. What that means is, you know, how volatile is the the assets you are about to invest in in terms of its price fluctuations. So, you know, we say the more volatile it is, the more risky it is, right? Um, and and it's an interesting way of categorizing risk because that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to lose money. It really just comes down to how much that price bounces around. So, uh, a stock, for example, that you know. Uh, goes up by 1% one day and then drops off 1% another day. And it normally does this over a period of time. That is a, a less uh, risky stock than a stock that might jump up 10% one day and then drop down 7% the next day, right? So even though both uh, stocks can give you an, a long-term return, um, the way it gets there and, and the volatility that takes place on this journey means that one is more riskier than the other. And and when you actually understand what your risk profile is, it will determine, um, yeah, it will help determine um, which option will you go for with using those examples um, that you've just given where one is very volatile and the other is probably much less volatile <laughs> as well. Yeah, and, and I guess the dangerous thing is, uh, especially for newbie investors, uh, retail investors, is, um, you know, Everybody thinks they can take more risk when we are in a bull market because mm. those fluctuations are on the upside. Mm. So it's much more of a 10% increase, right? And and you we get into this habit of, hey, well, you know, we get used to seeing the upwards trend. And so uh, we'll be okay if it drops down 10%. But the truth of the matter is we're just used to it going up by 10%. Mm. Um, and the flip side to that is when we are going through a, a bear market, what you find sometimes is uh, people don't want to take any risk, right? They don't want to experience any volatility whatsoever, but actually they probably should in order to actually reach their goals. Because at the end of the day, again, investing is about taking a level of risk. And if your your goals, uh, for example, is to retire with a comfortable amount, the chances are you need to take a decent level of risk to get there, depending on your circumstances anyway. But as you said, sometimes we're we're hit with a bit of a, a surprise when it's all working in our favour. Hey, we're the most <laughs> risk averse person ever. But the minute uh, something goes down dramatically, just as it's been going up dramatically, we realise maybe we wasn't so much <laughs> comfortable with that much risk. Yeah, so that, that's that's what it really comes down to, and um, I guess that's what the the you know, the challenges, trying to really identify what your risk uh, profile is. Um, and it's also, as I said earlier, it's actually a challenge for uh, regulated financial planners and financial advisors to do this for their clients as well. Now, they've got some necessary tools to help you do that. Like I said, they may have questionnaires, they may have uh, something called a Monte Carlo simulation, which basically just tries to predict the possible outcomes based on history. Um, that That stuff can help. But I would say generally for me anyway, whilst there is the mechanical side of, you know, like you know, identifying your risk profile, I would say probably the behavioral side is probably even more important. 
um, when it comes to the mechanical side, I think what people should probably focus on um, a lot is two areas. One is uh, your capacity for loss, mm. which means uh, I want to say capacity for loss. I'm talking about a permanent loss, not a, a paper loss. A paper loss is when uh, the value of the assets go down, right? So you invested a thousand pounds and today is 900 pounds, sorry. Um, but you haven't sold anything. That doesn't mean you've made a raw loss. That's just a paper loss. That just means the value of your assets has gone down. A Can you say that again, bro? Like, because uh, that's that's really important because you hear a lot of people, even in you know the markets we experienced maybe six months ago when there was lots of drops and volatility. Yeah. People saying, "Oh, I lost my money." I'm in the stock market and they haven't sold nothing. Yeah, you, you don't lose anything. Um, you know, I guess the most important thing to know when it comes to stocks and, and the stock prices is the, the value that you see is just a current market price. So what that means is it's the value of which um the, the market is willing to buy your assets of you for at that current period in time. So think of it like a house. I always say think of it like a house. If you bought a house for a hundred thousand and the market comes and says we're willing to buy it for ninety thousand, because stocks are liquid assets and there's price dissemination, what that means is you get to see that price on a daily basis, right? Mm. Um so you know the question is are you willing to sell it to the market for that price? It doesn't mean you've lost it. It's just the market is telling you how much it's willing to buy it off you. Um, the other side is, uh, you know, when you actually sell it, you then you actually crystallize that loss. You make that loss mm. a reality, which means you mm. actually sold your assets for the price that the market was uh, valuing your assets for. So that's that's you know that's the difference between a, a, a paper loss um, and and a raw uh, loss, which is like a permanent loss. Hmm. Love that. Um, makes really really uh, perfect sense as well. And just finally, um, just wanted to uh, hear you touch on again around the you know understanding your capacity for loss and what are your yeah understanding your capacity for loss. Um, yeah. yeah what really understanding what that actually means? Do you mean just in 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 general? Is it just around the 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 paper bit and then the permanent uh, loss? Yeah, it's it's more to do with the permanent loss. So yeah. you know if if you did lose. Um, a, a sum of money in the stock market because you invested in something and the stock market went down and you needed, uh, you know, the money. Then of course that's that's a that's a permanent loss. And what does that actually mean for your financial well being? Uh, what does it mean for your personal finances? Does that mean that you might you might not eat that week? You know, obviously mm-hmm. that's an extreme example. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, what does it actually mean for your overall personal finances and your long-term goals? That's what we say about capacity for loss, you know, which is why we even encourage on a walk finance podcast that people should have uh, emergency funds and, and these kind of things in place and and uh pay off their debts before they even start investing. But not everybody does, and that obviously reduces your capacity for loss if you do have debt um, if you do have if you don't really have a, a solid emergency fund then your capacity for loss is, is obviously reduced um but what's also important is to understand something called uh your your liquidity needs which is essentially well how do you need money do you need the money soon um which is quite linked to your time frame so if you need liquidity if you need money for something let's say you're about to buy a house in the next three five years or so then you cannot deal with either a permanent loss or a paper loss because the chances are you're about to crystallize the paper loss to make it a permanent loss anyway mm. so you have to really assess your, your you know your your capacity for loss that's where you can consider things like hey you know if I'm investing, I can only invest what I'm willing to lose, for example. That's a mm-hmm. phrase that I don't like, but you mm-hmm. can see how that can help you make a decision. 
Um, but if you understand your capacity for loss, then it helps you to, uh, you know, place yourself in a, in, a, in a certain risk profile that makes sense. Um, yeah. And I love that. And for any sort of project managers out there or works on any particular project, you will do things like a risk assessment and look at how you you mitigate those risks as well. And I think it's really important that we do really assess and write these things down, Jazz, because if someone is thinking, you know what, I'm going to put my money in this, um, it's likely to go up. But if, if there's a if there's a risk that I, I make a permanent loss for whatever reason, and it means that I won't have... This is an extreme example where I won't have food on the table, not just for my kids. Let's say that person uh, lives alone or whatever, but for myself, some people do, you know, think about uh, there are opportun- there are things where there are times where this actually happens, where people do lose and they really are struggling as a result of that. And I think it's so important that we take this really seriously. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and a bit of it just comes with knowledge of understanding uh, stocks and, and volatility as well, because like I said, if you're investing in something that's quite volatile um, and your capacity for loss is not very high, then obviously you, you've you not really invested according to your risk profile. That's really mm. important to understand. Hmm. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, go on. I was just going to say, um, I was going to give a shout out to where we're getting the listeners, but before I do that, I want you to have a think about uh, wanted to um, hear your thoughts which you can share after is around you know while one or two things that you know affects one's because you said at the beginning your risk profile might change over time and you've mentioned things like um behavioral there's a behavioral factor around it as well are there any other things that might affect you know what that risk profile would look like as well um but before we do that, I just want to very give a very quick shout out to um a city where we've got um listeners in um and this is a city called Rayleigh, which is in North Carolina, US. So welcome to the World Finance Podcast. You're here with myself, Jax, and the co-host, Peter. On this podcast, we talk about all things finance and all things finance related. If you are enjoying the podcast, um, make sure you do leave us a review and a five-star rating, if you really like us, that's it, that is. And if you want to know more about what we do in the community, because Woke Finance is more than just a podcast, we do serve in a community here in the UK, you can head over to www.wokefinance.co.uk and sign up to our mailing list to know what we're doing and what we're up to. If you want to engage with us on socials, we are also on Instagram. That is our main uh, page. That's Walk Finance Team. That's at Walk Finance Team. Come on, come on, come on. A massive shout out to our listeners over there and all over the world. So, um, yeah, Jax, any any thoughts on that before I, I took a break there? Yeah, so um, I'll talk very quickly on the behavioral side, um, which is a, a lot of the time uh, people don't consider how composed they potentially can be. Um, they need to ask themselves how composed they can be when we go through periods of financial uh, turmoil, for example. So, you know, we don't say things like, hey, there may be a recession. The thing is, we know there's going to be a recession every you know, decade or so. Um, how composed can we remain in that, in that circumstance? But the truth of the matter is, a lot of the time, this comes down to uh, our knowledge and our experiences so if you are someone who, for example, had gone through uh, the, the you know, 2008 uh, financial crisis, then you would have had a level of experience when it comes to um, recessions and deep recessions. And what that means for the financial markets and your portfolio, it could be that you are better prepared, especially if you're someone who was composed and you remain invested or better yet invested even more. 
you are better positioned than someone, a millennial, for example, or Gen Z, who only started investing, um, you know, during the, the, the global pandemic and exp- saw uh, the market bounce back as quickly as it ever has, right? And it has never really experienced uh, another d- downturn. Mm. So experience does really matter. And just ex- experience in investing as well matters as well. And of course, your knowledge base is really, really, really important. Um, but you asked another question. What was the other question? Well, what, what can change your risk profile? Yeah. Um, many different things can change your risk profile. I think what's really important is to um, add it to your financial reviews, which we say we sh- you should do at least every six months. What I mean by that is, you know, life changes. Um, you know, for, for example, my risk profile has changed. I use myself as an example. My risk profile or my risk tolerance was much higher before I got married, for example. Mm. Right. Um, because now I don't invest as an individual, I invest as a family. So even though I may be more knowledgeable and more experienced than, than my wife, um, I have to consider her when I'm investing, for example. Mm. So it could be that, hey, actually, rather than uh investing in the stock market more aggressively, because I know intuitively that uh financially over a three-decade period, the stock market will outperform, let's say, the property market. Um, but for her, the peace of mind of paying down mortgage might be more important. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, we've tried to find ourselves in the middle and we well, we try to do both. Um, but that also means I'm not investing as much as I possibly could. So it's important to assess what's changed in your life, life events, you know, it could be uh, getting married, um, it could be having children, um, it could be something that's has happened to you financially you know maybe a health scare that required mm-hmm. you to to put up a lot of cash so there's peer there's many things that can um affect your your risk profile but generally speaking generally there is a skeleton that you would have to follow that just needs a bit of adjusting over time hmm. no i love that man i really do um there's so much you know thought that needs to go into and it's a continuous progress right so hopefully for the listener that's never really asked themselves what is my risk profile hopefully you're answering that question um and you're potentially taking the next step in terms of capturing those thoughts and writing them down and seeing what you need to do to mitigate some of those risks when it comes to investing but to be honest as i said this is applicable to pretty much every area of our lives as well um particularly around personal finance as well so no that's really 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 good and for the people that have done this before hopefully it's a nice reminder and just a a, a reminder and then you've you've learned one or two things about what else you can include in your thinking when it comes to understanding your risk profile um so now thank you very much for that Jax man that's been really useful um just yeah. wanted to capture see if you had any um final thoughts on yourself before I let you go yeah no I think I think we've covered it you know this is a much bigger topic uh maybe another day we will spend much more time on really dissecting the different uh parts of, of risk profiling um, but like I said earlier if you're someone who has a lot of cash and um, you don't really know how to do this very well, then I would always encourage you to speak to a regulated financial planner or financial advisor who would help you um, go through this process. But what I would even say to that is it's not an easy and it's not so black and white. So um, even financial advisors sometimes struggle. And I think looking back historically at some of the um, strategies used to uh, place people in, in or, or to do some risk profiling i think has been a bit flawed mm. um and even the industry is slowly trying to figure out uh, the best ways to do this 
um, you know, using, and that's why behavioral finance has become a huge, uh, you know, area of, of, of learning and something that I'm even interested in. So it is not an exact science, but I would say it's great to start off with, you know, your goals and what you're trying to actually achieve and an understanding that you ha- you have to take a level of risk anyway, because investing is risky. You, you are taking a level of risk for a return. Um, and just understand that, look, uh, if you are taking risk, you have to ask yourself, is the risk that I'm taking appropriate and suitable for the goal that I'm trying to achieve? And also me as an individual, my ability to take that risk. And that's exactly what you're trying to achieve. That's what you're trying to optimize long term. So not an exact science, but... Um, something that we can definitely pay more attention to and and learn more about in the future. Love it, love it, love it. As you said, not an exact science, but also the sole reason that there needs to be a continuous conversation about it. So yeah, man, that's been really useful, Jack. So thank you very much for that. And for our listeners, as we said, yeah, hopefully you take this away and continue the conversation as well. Do the usual with what how you've been supporting us, share it with someone, share it with a friend, family, social media, all of that good stuff. And remember all, stay woke. <laughs>